And this season of social distancing and of the prevalence of social disconnection, uh, we need to choose to take action. We need to choose to act in ways that move us forward in our growth. So the need for us to grow today is not just about our spiritual lives, but it's about our whole physical selves, our entire being. And we shouldn't disconnect those two spheres, our spiritual and our physical. It's all integrated into one thing. Now, last week, we stressed the importance of getting honest with our current situation and being willing to confess the truth. We need to look in the mirror and see it, see ourselves and say, okay, this is where I'm at. We need to stand on the scale and say, okay, this is the reality. But it's not just that. There's more to it than that. Um, And in us getting honest with God um, to the point where we are willing to confess that we don't have it all figured out, that's that moment where there's this gap that we start to discover between what the truth is, where we long to go. And in all of that mix and all of that frustration, there's a temptation for us to to ignore what we see, to ignore that truth and just to say, you know what, I'm fine, I'm good, I'm good enough, I'm fine. Uh, Do you remember when Jesus, it was on the night that he was betrayed, uh, he turned to his friends and they were chatting and they got into this debate, his friends, got into this debate about who was going to be better in the kingdom and who's going to sit on the left and the right hand side and they were getting a little focused in the wrong things and then all of a sudden, uh, and then all of a sudden, then we have uh, Jesus turn to Peter and remind Peter that Peter, you are not as strong as you think you are. You are not as confident as you believe yourself to be. And he says, in fact, Peter, uh, later on, like the enemy wants to get you. He wants to take you down. And in wanting to take you down, you, you need to be ready. And Peter's response to Jesus, and we have to remember this, Jesus, who up until now has been prophetic, full of truth and insight, never wrong and deeply invested in the well-being of his friends. So this Jesus, Peter turns to that Jesus and basically says, I'm fine. I'm good. I've got this covered. You don't really need to worry about it. And as we know in the story, later on in the garden, Jesus turns to all of his friends, to those three core friends, "Um, could you men keep watch with me for one Hour. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Peter was not good. He said he was. He was kind of in denial. Jesus warned him twice that he was not as strong as he thought he was. Peter was not humble enough to realize and to listen closely to the request of Jesus. Even though you know, even if he had, was in fact fine, you could picture a more likely or more realistic situation with a friend like Jesus that Peter would have turned and said, you know what, Jesus, I don't feel like I'm in trouble. I feel okay. But you seem to know things that we don't know. So uh, I'm going to listen to your advice and I'm going to take this seriously. I will, in fact, pray. Now, if you've been honest with your own life, and you've glimpsed some of those darker corners, and like myself, my hope for you and for myself is that we would begin to look for the actions and the rhythms, the toolkit for what to do next. And that brings us to today. 
In the Proverbs passage that we heard earlier, it says this, let the wise listen and add to their learning and let the discerning get guidance. A long-term prisoner was finally set free. He had been living in prison for decades, in fact. He was incarcerated at the age of 15, or not 15, age of 19. And from that point on, life was prison. It was what he did. It was all he knew. And finally, after years and years and years of living his entire life in prison, he is set free. He sets foot. He doesn't have any friends outside of prison anymore. And he is fearful. He is terrified. He is confused. He is paralyzed by the freedom he has now been given. He has been what you would refer to as being institutionalized. So much so that one of the first things he does is goes out and reoffends so that he can be put back into prison. Now, some of us from our perspective would look at that situation and say, why in the world would you ever do that? But what we tend to not appreciate is that that rhythm of life that he was in, the rules, the boundaries, the constraints, that defined his life. And when finally given the gift of freedom, he didn't even know what to do with it. He didn't know how to live the life that had finally been given to him. And friends, for many of us, we've said yes to Jesus. We've accepted his freedom. We've released the shame and the guilt from our lives. And then we look around and say, I, I don't actually know what to do next. I don't know where to go. I don't know how to operate in the life that I now have. And there's a temptation, there's a desire, a longing to actually go back to those rhythms and patterns that we've been used to for so long. They might not be good for us. They might make us sick or ill or unwell, but at least we know them. At least we understand them. Maybe you've come to a place where you've been willing to admit that some aspects of your life have been imprisoned. And there's that numb comfort in the familiar, but then you've released all of that. But the alternative, that paralyzing, terrifying, immobilizing freedom can be a bit scary. You know you need help. You know you're not where you want to be. And you know all of this, but what do you do? Bumble along the path that you've never been on before? Make these small attempts to correct a problem you don't quite understand? This week, I'd like to talk to you about the guided life, the life of gaining insight, perspective, and support by choosing to include others in your personal growth. Now, why? Because one, you don't know what you don't know. We've heard that phrase before. People throw it around often, but the power of it is, is actually quite meaty. It's quite a, a, a valuable insight. When you don't know something, you don't know what to do about it, and so you're left in ignorance. Another reason is what you know actually might be wrong or misguided or distorted. And so you're operating from what you think is truth, and it's leading you down paths of frustration and disappointment because, in fact, it's wrong. And thirdly, if you know what you need to do, you know the truth, all of that part is fine, but you just need encouragement. You need to know that you can make it. You don't want to, you're, you're afraid and you need that support. I remember the first time I got these. Not these, not these ones, but like my original ones, like the big circle ones back in like 
2000, not 2000, the, what, back in like 18, 1980 something. Anyways, so I got glasses. All right. Now, um, I, when I was driving, or I, when my family was driving and they were like zooming by signs, the game that we were playing was like spot the sign and read it. And my parents for the longest time just thought I couldn't read. Like they just thought, oh, Trent's one of those children. Um, but in fact, I was partially one of those children because that is true. I had arts I'm reading. But I also couldn't see the stop signs. I couldn't see the signs. So it'd be like, I'd be like, stop. It's like, exit. And they're like, uh, I think Trent might have a vision problem. We go to the optometrist. He like shines the bright light in my eyes and does all of that. And sure enough, my vision is not great. And so I get glasses. I remember putting on my glasses for the first time and looking at the trees. For those of you who got glasses early or later on, the trees were amazing. I was like, I can, they're actually leaves. I can see the definition of a leaf. And it was such a new world for me. I didn't know that. There's no way I could have really understood that my vision was wrong. It required outside input into my life to give me perspective. And then when I finally got those glasses, man, my world was different. Let the wise listen and add to their learning. Let the discerning get guidance. Um, do you remember when Paul, St. Paul, uh, when Paul had his encounter with the Lord on the road to Damascus? Um, let's take a look at Paul's own brief description of what happened, and I think it will help us answer some questions. So in Acts 22, 6 to 10, it goes like this. This is what Paul says. It happened that I was on the journey and nearly at Damascus when in the middle of the day, a bright light from heaven suddenly shone around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, who, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus the Nazarene, whom you are persecuting. The people with me saw the light, but did not hear the voice which spoke to me. And I said, what am I to do, Lord? The Lord answered, get up and go into Damascus, and there you will be told what you have been appointed to do. Paul's question, what am I to do, Lord, is one of the most beautiful prayers in Scripture. They are words that we could repeat in our hearts all day long, every day, as we travel the journey of faith. But Jesus' answer is rather puzzling. Jesus tells him to go into the city and wait for someone to come and tell him what to do. Why didn't, just, why didn't Jesus just tell him right then and there what to do? Why didn't, just, why didn't Jesus just give him another vision with a full list of instructions? We know from the rest of Scripture that Paul sent a Christian named Ananias to meet Paul, explain the gospel to him, heal his blindness, and baptize him. Jesus didn't do all the work himself. He freely chose to work through others, to give his guidance through other human beings. Or do you remember the remarkable account between the Ethiopian eunuch and Philip in Acts chapter 8? Now, the eunuch had been traveling. He was a pilgrim to Jerusalem, and now he was on his way back home. And as this high-ranking official, um, he had all of these like chariots, and there was like this really big fancy to-do, and 
he's going along, and so he's having this pilgrimage, and then suddenly Philip has orders by the Holy Spirit to catch up to the chariot. And when he did, he heard the eunuch reading the Jewish scriptures, some of the prophecies from Isaiah about the Messiah specifically. Now, back in the day, the way texts were often written, there, weren't punctu- there wasn't punctuation. And so to read in your head could be quite confusing. You actually would need to read it out loud so that you could sense when a sentence ends and a, and a new thought begins. So uh, this Ethiopian eunuch is reading this scroll out loud. Philip hears it and joins up and says, and asks the man, um, like, hey, uh, let me just take the note here. Um, Philip asked the man if he understood what he was reading. And the man um, did not answer, um, yeah, it's coming together. I think I got this. I'm putting some pieces together. You know, I'm a big deal. I'm a smart man. Look at my chariots. I think I'm good. No, he didn't say that. He turned and with humility and the willingness to admit not knowing what's going on, not understanding, he said, "Uh, how could I unless I have someone to guide me? Now, why did the Holy Spirit send Philip to help this this man find what he was looking for? Why didn't the Holy Spirit just give him the answer directly? No, and we could go on and on with similar examples from both the Old and the New Testament. Joshua was spiritually tutored by Moses, Elisha by Elijah, David by Nathan, Paul by Barnabas, Timothy by Paul, Mark by Peter. And it would seem that God's normal mode of operation is to guide and enlighten us by the combination of direct and indirect action. He stirs our souls and opens our minds and gives us insight, but He helps us make sense of it all through the help of our fellow brothers and sisters in the faith. What you don't know might, like what you don't know, you don't know. Uh, This Ethiopian eunuch, he didn't know what it meant, and he was never going to know what it meant until someone provided that insight. Paul was surely going to go down a course with his life continue on a trajectory that was deeply flawed and deeply wrong until Jesus interrupted his life, and then he came to understand the gospel through the help and the support of Ananias, and then ultimately also through Barnabas. So what you know might be wrong or distorted. Um, Have you ever uh, attempted to do some kind of sport, some kind of movement, and it just wasn't working? I remember when I was young and I was trying to learn how to throw the football, right? So you, can, you learn how to throw the baseball and you got the arm motions and it's not so bad, right? But then you go to this strange shaped ball that if you throw it like any other ball, it just does the weirdest, most ineffective thing in the air. And until you get instruction, until you get guidance to be like, no, 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 you're not supposed to like rotate your wrist the way you might with a baseball you have to like drop your wrist down as you throw it you're like wait what i i was doing it wrong this whole time of course it wasn't working out and then you start working on it next thing you know it's corrected or for me last week i'm on i'm on the fairway or whatever i'm getting ready to i'm not a good golfer i golf about once a year uh, pastor matt is mathing uh, <laughs> mathing pastor matt is laughing so i'm standing there and 
my drive was just terrible. Like I was getting, it was just not working that day. You know, a year ago, I thought I understood it, but I guess waiting a whole year, you learn some, you just forget. So anyways, I was like, guys, what am I doing wrong? And they all looked at me like, well, there's probably a really long list, so we're not going to like unload all of the disappointment onto you, Trent. But the one, they didn't say that. I felt that. Um, what they did say was, Trent, you keep lifting up right when you're about to hit the ball. So like there's this tendency for me to be like, like I don't even know what I was doing, but I was doing that. Um, and I couldn't have known that except for outside perspective, insight and perspective into my life. And so, yes, they told me that. Did it correct my game? Not yet. <laughs> but I understand what I need to work on. And then the other important point was, keep your eyes on the ball, Trent. And I'm like, oh man, I've heard this a hundred times. I tell other people this. Why did I forget this? It's like one of those common things. But I needed someone else to remind me of a thing I've already known. So that did help my game a little bit. Paul knew the truth about, uh, Paul knew the truth about like scripture and he had all sorts of ideas, but he had some things wrong. And those couple of things that were wrong for Saul sent him on a, he would have been on a terrible path. And that insight, those insights corrected him. Have you ever been lovingly corrected? And after getting over the sting of being wrong and that like frustration of that, the humility that fights against you, haven't you appreciated it? Being given correct information, being lovingly corrected? Or have you ever operated and acted on incorrect information and wondered why things were not making sense? And finally, someone pointed out what was wrong. How valuable is that in our lives? Very valuable. Or, have you ever believed a lie about yourself, about who you are and how you act in the world, and then you have a friend or uh, someone with wisdom and insight, a mentor, come up to you and say, Trent, this is not you. This is you. I see this in you. And it has this moment where you have to change the way you think about things. This, my friends, the decision for us to choose to involve other people in our spiritual journey is so critical. And one of the beautiful things is encouragement. You might know what you need to do. You might have known for years, but it, it's, you just haven't had the courage, the ability to take that next step. And you need the inspiration. You need the encouragement. You need other people around you to say, you can do this. We can do this. We're going to join together and figure this thing out. Uh, Right before Joshua became like the appointed leader of the Israelites, Moses was asked by God these things, to do this. He said, but commission Joshua and encourage and strengthen him. Encourage and strengthen him. For he will lead his people across and will cause them to inherit the land that you will see. Or later on, we see in Romans I think Paul deeply understood the power of encouragement and the power of walking alongside others to grow spiritually. He says this in Romans 1. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. 
I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to come to you in order that I might have a harvest among you just as I have had among the other Gentiles. Right in the middle there, he's saying that you and I may mutually be encouraged by one another. Reach out and, and encourage someone and let someone else encourage you. We need that perspective. We need that support more than ever in our lives. Have you ever received a kind note of encouragement from a friend at just the right time? It was only about a couple of sentences long, but it came at the right time and it changed my entire day. It changed the way I thought about myself, the way how I was living my life. And then out of that, I felt like I had the ability to do that to others. When we read through scripture, we quickly realize that the central role, there's a huge central role of encouragement among the people of God. In one sense, encouragement is like like the oxygen of life for the church. It keeps our hearts beating, our minds clear, our hands inspired to serve. And because encouragement is so important to the church, God doesn't just merely recommend it. He explicitly commands it in multiple spots. God commanded that his people would encourage each other because he knows what we need. He knows this deeply. And in the Gospel of John, we have Jesus making that warning. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. We live live in a broken world where everything is calling us to selfishness or despair. And sin steals our joy. Um, Our bodies break down plans falter, uh, our dreams die sometimes, and our resolve weakens, and things feel diminished and difficult. This is a challenge, and instead of pretending that that that, that, that that doesn't exist, we need to come around each other and support one another. We need the encouragement of others. It refines us. We need the guided life. The righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. I remember hearing a a phrase that said this, um, you show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Uh, It was one of those kind of youth ministry lines that you would use to kind of remind people, remind the people that you're working with, just so you know, The people you surround yourself influence who you become and who you are. And so I want to encourage all of us, seek out good community. Choose to connect. Choose to get the direction from someone who's gone before. Get the perspective of someone who can be beside. Talk to a child who has a perspective of faith and life that uh, we've long forgotten. You need guidance because you don't know, and you can never know the whole story. We need the community around us to balance our perspective and to provide context. Mirrors are helpful, but they're still a reflection back at you of what you're already seeing. You need another angle, and that's what people can offer us. You don't know what you don't know, but someone might know and might be able to share it with you. What you know might be wrong, And someone might be able to have the courage and the insight to come alongside you and 
redirect and give you the support you need. And maybe you know exactly what you need and exactly what you're supposed to do, but it's just hard and you need encouragement. There are people that will encourage you, that will support you, that will help you make it through. And this, my friends, is such a valuable next step for us to take. When we get honest with our lives and we confess the truth, and then we look around and we don't know what our next step is, get close to some other people that are good people and together figure out how to start taking those steps. Let the insights of others direct your course. Seek out those good people, those people that are in love with the Lord. That's my encouragement to all of us today. Now I'm going to ask Pastor Matt to come up, and he's going to share. Like last week, we had kind of the workout for the week. This is the workout that I would encourage for all of us to participate in this week. Let me pray, and then he'll share. Heavenly Father, we, we need the company of others. We can't do this without other people, and you designed it that way. Lord, by the Holy Spirit, you could have done so much, but you chose to bring Ananias to Paul. You chose for Philip to instruct the Ethiopian eunuch. You made these decisions to include others in your kingdom work. Lord, we are not called, we are never called to be islands unto ourselves, but to allow ourselves to be influenced and connected to other people. Lord, give us the courage to seek out the guided life, to allow other people to surround us so that we can find out and learn and grow in the direction you're calling us. We love you. Amen. Thanks, friends. Thanks, Pastor Trent, for sharing that message with us. The interesting piece with the workout plan is, in the workout plan, we're looking at our life and we're looking at what this means for us spiritually. So physically, what does it mean? And spiritually, what does it mean? It's not a problem in our physical world to ask for help. Uh, when I walk into a gym, uh, I don't know what all those machines do. I don't know how they operate. It would hurt me to jump onto a machine. It's good for us to ask for help. And in our spiritual life, it's the same thing. We can try and work and try to do this all by ourselves. One of the, the most uh, ferocious lies that I think Satan throws at us is just do it by yourself. This Christian life is not meant to, to be lived all alone. And so I want to encourage you this week, and we're calling you to this. Last week, we, we called you to uh, confess your sins one to another so that you may be healed. And that, uh, that invitation still remains today. This week, we're calling you to have a serious, purposeful conversation with someone. Not a conversation where we're catching up on what's happening with our family and how much do we really hate COVID, but really a conversation that allows uh, our friend to, to see into our heart and for us to see into their heart. And so this week is we're compounding that from last week, confessing our sin one to another. This week we are asking you to have a serious conversation with someone. You will know it's serious when you leave that conversation and go, man, that was good for the soul. And so that is my prayer for you this week, that you will join us on this adventure that, 
Uh, we are refining ourselves. We're getting ourselves physically better, but also spiritually better. I want you to grab your communion elements. Uh, there's no better way, I believe, to end a, a time together than taking communion. Communion gives us that opportunity to actually celebrate, to proclaim, as Paul said, that the Lord is not dead, he's alive. Uh, we're going to take it here. The, the tech team, the worship team is going to take it here. So just hold on to those elements. Let me just read a passage of scripture from Matthew 26, and then I'll walk us through how we need to take communion together. Matthew 26, and you don't need to flip there. You can just listen to my words, the words that the, the Lord has given to us. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and said, Where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? He replied, Go into this city and look for a certain man and tell him, The teacher, the master, the Messiah has said, My appointed time is near. I'm coming to do what, what God had sent me for. I want to celebrate the Passover with my disciples, my friends at your house. So the disciples did just as Jesus asked and prepared the Passover. When the evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve, hanging out. And while they were eating, he said, Truly, I tell you, someone, one of you, will betray me. They were very sad. Began to say to one another, Surely you don't mean me, Lord. Jesus replied, The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to the man that betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely not me, Rabbi. Jesus answered, You have said so. While they were eating, Jesus took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he said to them, Drink from it, all of you. This is the blood of the new covenant. This is the new promise, which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now until the day when I drink it anew with my Father. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Grab your, your communion elements. I'd also encourage you in a fun way to, to send us pictures of, of your family taking communion. This is a way that we can enjoy as we're separated by distance, uh, enjoy seeing one another. Jesus took the bread, and I want you to grab the bread. And as he held it up to his disciples, he said, This is my body which is broken for you. Take and eat all of us together. Let's eat the, the bread together. Jesus, thank you for your body that was broken. We are humbled that you as a human were willing to sacrifice your body you're willing to be separated from your Father so that we could begin this relationship, this personal relationship with you. Thank you. And he took the cup, and the cup was an interesting one because the cup meant something that was attached to a new covenant, a new promise. 
No longer would, would we need to, to bring sacrifice. The ultimate sacrifice was made. And so as you drink from the cup, my prayer for you is that you experience that new covenant again. You're reminded of that new covenant. Take and, and drink from it and usher in the new covenant. God, thank you for the gift of the new covenant. That ultimate promise, when we see a covenant here on earth, it's that ultimate promise. The promise that you made to Noah that you would never flood the earth again. The promise that you made to Moses and to Abraham. And then that ultimate promise that you made to us. That we could enjoy a relationship with you. We are humbled. Thank you for the opportunity today that we've had to celebrate who you are. To proclaim that we serve a God who is alive and who's moving. Even in the midst of a time in our history where it's tough. You're God, we're not. We love you. We ask all this in your name. Amen. Thank you for for joining us today at, at Renfrew Baptist Church. Know that you're loved, you're prayed for. Know that this journey that we're walking on this fall is all about us together becoming who God wants us to be. I want to encourage you, if you haven't yet done the exercise of confessing your sin to someone else, walk into that this week. Get freedom. And I want to encourage you to have a serious spiritual conversation. Pastor Trent talked about direction. That we need people in our life who who can point us in a direction that God wants for us. We look forward to seeing you this next Sunday. We look forward to celebrating Thanksgiving with you. A chance where we get the opportunity to say that God has provided in massive ways for us. Let me pray a prayer benediction for you. And I'm going to pray that as you get into your day today, that you experience God in a new way. God, thank you for my friends. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to make up the Renfrew Baptist Church community. Together, we have heard truths about you. We've sung songs that reflect who you are. We've proclaimed that you are a God who is alive. May you be honored with our praise today. God, may this week we have a conversation with someone that propels us into even a deeper relationship with you. And may someone seek us out to have a conversation with us where we can be the hands and feet of Jesus. We love and adore you. We worship you. We ask all this in your name. Amen.